Well, good morning, everybody. Good. Oh, you guys weren't ready for that, were you? Good morning. Good morning to all of us here in the room, and good morning to those of you joining us online. We're glad that you're with us, too. Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to be together, and I'm, I'm glad to be back after a couple weeks of, a uh, couple Sundays of vacation. Uh, it's good to be back together with you. Um, we like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. God, we are glad that you are with us, and we're glad that you uh, make your presence known to us in times like this, uh, especially when, you, you know, God, some of us here in the room, we need to know that you're with us. I mean, we're going through some stuff that if, uh, if we're not confident of your presence with us, we're not sure we would have the strength uh, to carry on. So, God, thank you that on days like this, as we gather together to, to sing to you and to pray to you, to listen for your spirit speaking through the scriptures and to gather around the table of our Lord Jesus, God, we're grateful that on mornings like this that uh, you do reassure us of your presence. You help us to, to sense that you are with us. So please, would you open our hearts, open our minds, uh, open us up to you, God, that we'll be aware of your gracious, loving presence with us, that we will hear from you what we need to hear from you today, and that we'll be able to say to you the things that we need to say so that this connection, this relationship that you long to have, so that it can be a real one, uh, that we can truly connect with the God who made us, the God who loves us. Thank you, God. We pray all this confident in your love because you have shown your love to us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you're, uh, if you're able, if you're interested, let's stand and let's sing together.
even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will restrain, rest, oh my goodness, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. When anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we do thank you that regardless of what storm may be going on around us today, this week, this month or this season, Lord, that it is well with our soul. That there's nothing happening that's a surprise to you, nothing happening that's beyond your control, though it may seem like we are going to drown, like we are going to crash against the rocks, Lord, it is still well with our souls. What a great promise we have from you, Lord, and we thank you for that promise that you can give us that peace as we bring everything to you, as we, we turn over all of the worries and concerns that we have from this life, that, Lord, we can truly have a peace that passes all understanding. 
I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of those times, you do not leave us, you do not forsake us, you do not abandon us. And in fact, it's those times when we sense your presence even closer to us, where you wrap your arms around us and you comfort us through those times that just there seems to be no comfort anywhere else. I thank you for being that God. Lord, we thank you this morning for gathering us together. For each person that's here in this building, for those that are joining us online, Lord, thank you for each and every one. For this family that you have built together here as part of this congregation. What a wonderful, glorious group of people that you have pulled together. Thank you for being with us this morning, for inviting us into your presence, for, for being here in a way that's just so special this morning. Thank you for bringing Pastor Rich and Stacy and the boys back to us safely. And I ask that you would be with Pastor Rich this morning as he brings your message to us. I know that you have spoken with his heart and you have, you have given him this message. And so may we be receptive to hear what it is you have to say to us, whether it's encouragement or maybe a challenge or an admonition, Lord. Let us be open. And be with us during the rest of this time through this service. And for all that you do, and just for who you are, we give you thanks and praise and honor and glory as we pray these things in your name. Amen and amen. Well, the peace of the Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. Well, for all of you who are joining us online and can't shake our hands right now, we, we hope that you will uh, connect with us, that you'll leave us a comment, let us know that you're with us, or, or go to livinghope.info slash connect, fill out one of those little connect cards, share with us how we can pray for you, something like that, and, uh, or maybe you got a comment, or maybe you're just thanking God for something. Um, all of us in the room are welcome to do that same thing. Of course, you can do that on your phones, or since you're here, you can just go grab one of those little green cards back by the offering box and jot your prayer request or your comment or your question on there and drop it in the box. If you're giving today, you can drop that in there as well, uh, or you can give online. Uh, it really is good to be back with you. If I haven't, uh, if I haven't met you, if I haven't met you, uh, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm the pastor here at Living Hope, and uh, I haven't been around as much lately. Uh, I was looking, over the last... Over the last month or so, there have been three Sundays that I was, I was not here. I was down in Indianapolis for the, the General Assembly of the Church of the Nazarene. And then I was back for a Sunday with almost no voice. And then I was gone for two Sundays uh, on vacation. So um, since so many of you have asked, the vacation was wonderful. We were glad to get away to St. Louis and the family reunion in Lake of the Ozarks and then some time in Michigan. And, and it was all really good. So we've been, we've been back since uh, the 4th or the 5th of July and uh, so about half of this last week, and uh, it's been, it's, it's like always, you know, it's good to get away, and it's good to be back, so uh, glad to be back with you this morning, glad that, uh, that we do have, you know, that COVID forced us to put cameras in the back and all of that so that I could follow along with you and, uh, and catch the messages from Pastor Judy and from my dad this last week, and um, yeah, I, I imagine, I know that some of you guys do that same thing, because uh, some of you end up shoot me a text or a comment when something doesn't work, you know, or something doesn't go right, like, hey, we don't have any audio, like, yeah, yeah, we're trying to fix it, you know, and uh, we had one of those things happen. I think everything's working today. I haven't gotten any text messages saying that things aren't working, so I think we're, I think we're all good. Um, 
By way of announcements, uh, this coming week is going to be a busy one. So starting with Wednesday night, we've got the missionaries, Vidal and Marie Cole, are going to be with us again. They were with us last year. And some of you got to hear them, but some of you didn't. Uh, they serve on the, in the Western African uh, field. And uh, I think last year when they were with us, they were in Sierra Leone, and they were getting ready to move um, to Nigeria, if I'm remembering that right. But they're going to catch us up. They're going to be with us this Wednesday night, 6 p.m., right here in the sanctuary. So if you'd like to join us, we'll have some little light snacks in the back. But just from 6 to, I don't know, 7-ish, they're going to be sharing with us what's going on. It's not like a whole worship service. We're not doing music and all that stuff. We're just going to get a chance to talk with them and meet them. And if you have questions, you can ask about how things are and and what's going on and how God is at work uh, in that part of the world. And then on Saturday, uh, the the Odd Fellows are going to be out there uh, giving away bikes. That's not a slur. That's the name of the group, uh, the Independent Order of Odd Fellows. Uh, They're going to be out there receiving donated bikes and fixing up bikes and giving away bikes. So if you have a bike to donate or if you know someone who needs a bike, make sure to tell them to be here Saturday from 9 to noon. And then Sunday morning, next Sunday, we're going to have breakfast between the services. So uh, make sure you come hungry, plan to stick around after the 9 o'clock service or or come early. you know, from, so around 10 to 10.30, uh, the guys are going to be serving us breakfast. I don't know what they've got planned for us, but I'm sure it's going to be good. And it's a chance to get to know some people who go to the other service. Or uh, maybe you'll be with us for the first time uh, in person, and you get to meet some people that are here sitting in the room right now. Uh, so that, that's always fun. I like, uh, I like the chance to, to be able to do that. And um, I think that's it by way of announcements. I mean, unless we're singing happy birthday to Katie for turning 30 or something. No? Not doing that? Oh, okay. All right. All right, just, just checking. Not till tomorrow, that's right. Yeah, don't sing happy birthday till tomorrow. All right. <clears throat> so uh, we had a little break from our year-long series last Sunday as my dad was talking about creativity. If you missed that, it's worth watching. Uh, go back and catch it on YouTube. Uh, but this year, we've been trying to get a, a picture of the, the big story of the Bible. So every month, we've been looking at a different book of the Bible. And we spent the first five months looking at the five books of Moses, the first five in the Bible, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. We took a little break with Job, and then today, we're, we're hitting one of the prophets before next month, we finally jump to the New Testament, all right? So we are jumping way ahead in the story because there are 66 books in the Bible and only 12 months in the year. So to get from Genesis to Revelation, we've got to skip a bunch of stuff, okay? Uh, But many of you have heard of the book of Jeremiah, even if you don't know the first thing about who Jeremiah was, other than apparently he was a bullfrog and a friend of mine. Um, So Pastor Judy said that uh, when I said we were talking about Jeremiah, just that song has been rolling through her head ever since, uh, ever since hearing that. But uh, you've probably heard this verse from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I'm just curious, how many of you have heard that verse before? You've got it on your wall or a pillow or something? Okay, yeah, that verse has been like become hugely popular in uh, kind of Christian world or something. And um, so we're going to look at the book in which that verse appears, the the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Now, there are several prophets in the Old Testament uh, who God speaks to, gives a message to his people for a particular time, trying to help them know what's going on, trying to help them, sometimes giving them words of warning, saying, guys, you got to change, you're not living right, and if you're not careful, things are, you know, there's going to be consequences coming. Uh, Sometimes to give them hope because they're in the midst of some consequences or or they're afraid that God's given up on them. and some of those books, if you look at your Old Testament, if you look at the first you know, two-thirds of our Bible, some of those are pretty short. You know, I know Jonah's like four chapters long. But I've, I've talked about Jonah already a couple of times uh, in, in the not-too-distant past. And several of the others, too, with funny names like Zephaniah or Zechariah or Malachi, some of those are fairly short. Uh, 
Jeremiah is a little bit longer, and, and uh, I'll be honest, as I was planning, okay, which one of these prophets are we going to look at, I picked Jeremiah in part because this verse is so well known, and in, in part, you know, several other reasons, but I thought I was picking one that wasn't too crazy long, and then as I was reading up, I was like, well, it's got fewer chapters than Isaiah. Isaiah's got 66 chapters, Jeremiah's only got 52 Found out the chapters are longer in Jeremiah, so it's actually the longest, it's actually the longest book in the Bible, Jeremiah. It's longer than Psalms. Psalms is 150 Psalms, but Jeremiah's longer. So if you if you want to get through that book this month while we're looking at it, start now. Okay. It might might take you a while to get through the whole thing. Um, although it does help if you just let the Bible app read it to you at like 2x speed. Uh, you can get through it pretty quick. But uh, to kind of catch us up on where we are in the story, that, you know, when last we left the people of Israel, they were, they were on the border of the promised land with Moses giving them you know, the book of Deuteronomy, reminding them of what God had promised. It's that next generation getting ready to go in, and Moses dies, and Joshua's going to take them in. And if you read, if you keep reading the story in the book of Joshua, uh, they go into the land, and they do conquer the people that are there, and they begin to settle. In the book of Judges, they, they really settle in, and they have all kinds of ups and downs and ups and downs, and, and fights with their neighbors and all kinds of interesting stories there. And then you get into the books of First and Second Samuel and you see they, they ask God for a king and he gives them a king who turns out to be not a very good king. And then you get, get David and David's a much better king for the most part. And, and eventually his son Samuel, or not Samuel, Solomon, who, who builds the temple there in Jerusalem, this majestic temple. And uh, after that, it's pretty much downhill. All right? So there are good kings, there are bad kings, uh, and some of them are faithful to God, some are unfaithful to God, and lead the people in worshiping other gods, and, and, uh, and eventually the nation splits in two. They have a civil war, and there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and uh, the northern kingdom of Israel ends up being conquered by the Assyrians and hauled off into exile, and we pretty much never hear from them again. And the, the southern tribes, includes the southern tribe of Judah, which has the capital city of Jerusalem, they hang on a little longer. And we have this good king named Josiah who, who institutes these reforms. They look, and someone finds in the temple a copy of the book of the law, which we think is probably the book of Deuteronomy. And the people read it, and they repent, and they're turning back to God. But that's not super long-lasting either. That's, that's where the story of Jeremiah appears in their history. All right. In fact, as we begin, oh, oh, before we actually begin reading the book of Jeremiah, though, I am going to let us watch one of those little, it's like six minutes long or so, uh, it's the, it's the Bible Project's intro to the book to give you a sense of, the, of what is contained in this book. And you got the little maps on your tables. If not, I think we'll have a link uh, to it later. But let's, let's watch this video real quick, and then we'll dive in. The book of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an Israelite priest who lived and worked in Jerusalem during the final decades of the kingdom of southern Judah. He was called as a prophet to warn Israel about the severe consequences of breaking their covenant with God through their idolatry and injustice, and he even predicted that the empire of Babylon would come as God's servant to bring this judgment on Israel by destroying Jerusalem taking the people into exile. And sadly, his words became reality. Jeremiah lived through the siege and destruction of Jerusalem and witnessed the exile personally. Now, this book came into existence in a really interesting way. Chapter 36 tells us that after 20 years of Jeremiah's preaching in Jerusalem, God called him to collect all of his sermons and poems and essays and commit them to writing, which Jeremiah did by employing a scribe named Baruch, who wrote down and compiled all of this material into a scroll. Now, Baruch also gathered lots of stories about Jeremiah, and he linked all the pieces together. And so this is why the book reads like an anthology, a collection of collections. It's all been arranged to present this prophet as a messenger of God's justice and grace. 
So the book begins with God calling Jeremiah to be a prophet, and he's given a dual vocation. He will be a prophet to Israel, but also to the nations. And his words will both uproot and tear down, but also plant and build up. In other words, he's going to accuse Israel and warn them of God's coming judgment, but he also has a message of hope for the future. Now, this opening perfectly summarizes the first large section, chapters 1 to 24. It's a collection of Jeremiah's writings from before the exile. And the core idea here is that Israel has broken the covenant with God and violated all the terms of the agreement they made that are written in the Torah. And in a number of ways, they've adopted the worship of all kinds of Canaanite gods, building idol shrines all over the land. And Jeremiah develops the metaphor of idolatry as adultery and uses the language of prostitution, promiscuity, unfaithfulness to describe how Israel has given their allegiance to other gods. Jeremiah also repeatedly accuses Israel's leaders. The priests, the kings, the other prophets have all become corrupt. They've abandoned the Torah and the covenant, which has led to a tragic result, rampant social injustice. The most vulnerable people in Israelite communities, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, were all being taken advantage of in clear violation of the laws of the Torah, and Israel's leaders didn't even seem to care. So a classic place where all of these ideas come together is in chapter 7. It's called Jeremiah's Temple Sermon. The Israelites are coming to worship their God in the temple as if everything is just fine, but outside the temple they are worshiping other gods, and some were even adopting the horrifying Canaanite practice of child sacrifice. And so Jeremiah makes his very unpopular announcement. The God of Israel is coming in judgment. He's going to destroy his own temple and punish Israel by sending an enemy from the north. This is an army that God would allow to conquer Jerusalem, and as you read on, you discover he's talking about the great empire of Babylon. And so this all leads up to a transition in chapter 25. Israel hasn't turned back to their God, and so in the first year of Babylon's new king, Nebuchadnezzar, God tells Jeremiah to announce that the Babylonian armies are headed for Israel and all of its neighbors to conquer them and take them into exile for 70 years. He compares Babylon to a cup of wine filled to the brim with God's just anger at all of Israel's injustice and idolatry, and God will make Israel and the nations drink from this cup. Now, this chapter is key to the book's design because everything that follows is going to focus on Babylon's coming attack, first on Israel in chapters 26 to 45, and then on the other nations in chapters 46 to 51. The section about Israel first contains stories about how Jeremiah begged Israel to turn back, how he warned them right up to the last minute, but the leaders of Israel kept rejecting him. This section concludes with a large collection of stories about how Jerusalem was under siege and eventually destroyed by Babylon and about how Jeremiah was persecuted all through that time and eventually kidnapped and taken against his will to Egypt by a group of Israelite rebels. Now, right here in the middle, in between all of these dark stories of disaster and judgment, is a collection of Jeremiah's messages of hope for Israel's future. So he picks up on Moses' prediction that after Israel had broken the covenant and gone into exile, see Deuteronomy 30, God would not abandon his people. Rather, he would renew his covenant with them and transform their hearts. Jeremiah develops this promise, and he says that God is going to one day inscribe the laws of the Torah, not on tablets, but rather on the hearts of his own people. He's going to heal their rebellion so that they can truly one day love and follow him fully. And so one day, Israel will return back to the land, and the Messiah from the line of David is going to come, and that's when all nations will come to recognize Israel's God as the true God. 
so these chapters are showing that despite Israel's apostasy, God is not going to let Israel's sin get the final word. Rather, his own faithfulness will bring about the fulfillment of his promises no matter what. After this, we find the large collection of poems about how God is going to use Babylon to judge the nations around Israel. So Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Edom, Ammon, Damascus, Hazor. But then, surprisingly, the longest poems are saved for last, and they're about God's coming judgment on Babylon itself. So although God used this nation to execute his justice, God doesn't endorse their violence and idolatry. And so Babylon, too, will come under the standard of God's justice. And so Jeremiah denounces this nation's pride and injustice as well. Now, Babylon is larger than life in these poems, and it reminds us of the image of Babylon all the way back from Genesis chapter 11. Babylon has become the archetypal rebellious nation. In their glorification of wealth and war, God's going to give this nation over over to its own destruction. The book concludes with a story taken from the end of the book of 2 Kings. It tells about Babylon's final attack on Jerusalem, how they destroyed the city walls and burned the temple and took the people into exile. The story shows how Jeremiah's warnings of judgment from chapters 1 through 24 were fulfilled. But then the chapter ends with a short story about the captive Israelite king Jehoiakim. He's heir to the line of David. And the king of Babylonian releases him from prison and shows him favor by inviting him to eat at the royal table for the rest of his life. And the book ends. So it's a little glimmer of hope. And this recalls Jeremiah's promises of hope from chapters 30 to 33. God hasn't abandoned his people or the promise of a future coming king from David's line. And so while this book contains a huge amount of warning and judgment, the final words conclude with a note of hope for the future. And that's what the book of Jeremiah is all about. So that really, uh, really summarized a lot into those six or seven minutes. So uh, I know you might be tempted to say like, oh, okay, so all of those first 24 chapters is just about that. I'd encourage you to go ahead and read it. As I was reading it, I'd watched the video before I went back and, and reread Jeremiah. And as I'm reading through some of those sections, I'm like, oh, that's where that story is. Oh, that's where that story is. Okay, some of these stories I'd heard before and, uh, you know, don't get mentioned in that video necessarily. Um, but uh, this is, as, as I said, this is a prophet who is sent to the people to warn them, uh, to warn them that they're on a path to destruction. You know, that what had happened to those northern tribes uh, when the Assyrians conquered them is about to happen to them as well. So you can imagine how popular Jeremiah was. You know, people saw him coming to the cookout and they were all like, oh, good, Jeremiah's here. He's, he's always cheery, right? No, that's not at all. Uh, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he was always heartbroken and always full of warning. And, and he kept seeing, you know, visions of the coming destruction and lived then to see that destruction. Um, we think the book of Lamentations, which comes right after this in the Bible, is written by Jeremiah. Um, this is the story of how, you know, the people, how Jerusalem has fallen. Uh, so Jeremiah was not the guy that you invited uh, to your, your 4th of July gathering. Um, but nonetheless, uh, God was with him. So uh, we're going to read chapter 1 and then one little story from chapter 18 this morning, okay? So here's how Jeremiah's uh, book starts. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. That Josiah is that reformer that I mentioned earlier, the one who was bringing them back to God. And so he starts then. And he served through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. 
down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. So he basically served from a good time all the way through a really not good time, all the way through the end until, uh, until the exile was, was underway. Uh, and that exile kind of came in, in waves, as you'll see if you, if you read. Uh, verse 4 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Some of you have heard those verses as well. They, they come up sometimes in conversations about uh, uh, abortion, about uh, pregnancy, uh, this idea that God knows us even from uh, the time that we are being formed in the womb. And, uh, and so he specifically, you know, here God is speaking to Jeremiah saying, look, I, I've known you before you were born. I set you apart. I've, I've got a plan for you. I appointed you to be this prophet to the nations. Uh, but the Bible's pretty clear that what God says to Jeremiah here, he could have said to some version of to each one of us, uh, that God knows us from the very beginning. From the time there was a you, God has known you. Uh, has been intimately involved in your life from the very beginnings of it. Um, I think Jesus at one time says that the number of hairs on our head, you know, like he knows how many hairs are on our heads. And, and we all know that number's constantly changing for almost all of us. Some of you, you've, you've got that number to a nice, you know, nice solid zero and you're just kind of holding there. But, uh, but for most of us, that number continues to, continues to change. God knows us well. And he does set us apart. I mean, we're set apart for a, to live a different kind of life. Right? We're, we're not supposed to just blend into the way, same way that everyone around us lives. That's, that's part of Jesus calls us to follow him. And, and when he calls us to follow him, he's calling us to a life of, of love, a life that, that looks different than some of your neighbors. He's setting us apart and appointing us. Now, Jeremiah was appointed as a prophet to the nations, but the Bible is clear that God has a plan for each and every one of us, that he has gifts that he gives to us, that he, that he wants to use us, that he has a plan for you, work for you to do that, that maybe I can't do. Right? That he's got people that he places you next to in your school or in your neighborhood or in your workplace or in your family that I'm, they're never going to meet me. They might not ever show up here at this church. So like, if the good news of God's love is going to touch their life in some way, it's going to be through you. And God's given you particular gifts and particular abilities, things that you do well, that you excel in, that, uh, that he hasn't given me and hasn't given to the person sitting next to you. Right? That he's got a plan for each of us. And as we grow, one of the things we should be doing is saying, okay, God, what, what do you have for me to do? What is it that you want? How do you want me to use the life you've given me to, to honor you, to serve the world, to let your love and your grace be seen in my life so that people know that there's a loving and gracious God uh, who made them and who's with them? So Jeremiah has, uh, God is letting him know, hey, I know you. I've set you apart. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. And he responds, as many prophets do in the Bible, he says, alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. He, he, he starts the excuses, right? Moses did a similar thing when God met him at the burning bush. You know, I, I don't speak too well. I, you know, all these excuses. And his excuses, I'm too young. We don't know how old Jeremiah was exactly at this time. We know his ministry spanned around 40 years from that one king to that next, to that last king. Um, so, I don't know, maybe on the, on the upper end, he's in his 20s, uh, maybe younger than that. Um, I don't know, what excuses are you giving God when he taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I got, I want, I got a project for you. Hey, I got some work for you to do. Um, some of you, your excuse might be, hey, I'm too young. Nobody will listen to me. Some of your excuses, you know, I'm too old. I've already done my stuff. You know? uh, whatever your excuse might be, uh, 
God, um, God has an answer, like he does for Jeremiah. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. It's the same thing he said back to Moses. He reminds Moses, I will be with you as you go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to say, let my people go. Jeremiah is being sent to, to kings and leaders and nations with an unpleasant message, and God says, look, I will be with you. Same thing that he says to you is what Jesus says to his disciples as he sends them out. This great commission uh, after he's conquered sin and death by his death and resurrection before he ascends into heaven. He says, look, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. I'm never going to leave you. I'll be with you. And so as he sends us out to do his work, to continue the work of Christ, uh, it might be that he calls you to something that makes your you know, knees tremble a little bit, uh, makes your inside start to rumble because, you, you know, the nerves kind of a thing. And, and, uh, but he says, look, I will be with you. I'll rescue you. I'll guide you. I'll help you through this. Then, verse 9, the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, some of those were like, you know, negative words. Some were positive, right? To, to uproot or tear down, you know, that's, uprooting is not a pleasant thing, right? I mean, I'm just picturing like all the weeds that are sitting out in our lawn now waiting for me to mow over them because we got back from vacation and Stacy looked and said, oh, that's a problem. And, you know, pulled a whole bunch of weeds out of, the, out of the landscaping and tossed them in the grass so I can mow them down, right? And he's saying, look, some of these nations, there, there are things people are going to be uprooted Some of them are going to be torn down. Some walls around some of these cities are going to be torn some, some places, and that's what ends up happening to Jerusalem. The walls are torn down to destroy and overthrow or to build and to plant. So some of these words I'm going to give you are words of hope and encouragement about people being built up, people being planted and nurtured. So God's message through Jeremiah, just like his message to us, sometimes there are things that God looks at us and says, oh, that's got to, that's got to get pulled out. That's, that's a weed. That is sucking the life out of you. You don't want that in there. you gotta, you got to uproot that. you got to tear that down. You've been, you've been building something in your life that's not good, and you gotta, you got to rip that all out and start over. You know, and other things that God says, like, I, I want to build this up. I want to plant something good in your life. Right? And, and sometimes he's got to pull some stuff out in order to make room for the, the good stuff. Right? I mean, an old life has to end before a new life can begin. That's that's uh, what the Apostle Paul says, I think, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know, if anyone's in Christ, you know, new creation, old life is gone, the new life has begun. For all of us, when we, when we come to Christ and we say, like, oh, man, I've messed this thing up. You gave me this wonderful life, and I blew it. I made a mess of myself, my relationships. I've just been making a mess all over the place. Uh, he forgives us, right? And he helps us to turn from an old life and to be open to a new life. He's saying through Jeremiah, you're going you're to have these kinds of words. As you, as you share your message, they're going to be words of warning and they're going to be words of hope. Now, sometimes uh, this next part just makes me, I'm not sure if I laugh or, or what I do with this next bit. Uh, it says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you've seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled which makes no sense in English. But my Bible, at least, had a little like note after watching to say the word for watching sounds like the word for almond. 
And so I guess it's a pun. I don't know. It sounds like God is using a, a, a pun here for, for Jeremiah. And, and it is. One of the words, I forget which one is almond and which one's watching. One's shukhed and one's shukhed. But they're almost exactly the same word, like one little sound different. Um, it makes me think that if you were doing this today, that God would have said, oh, what do you see there, Jeremiah? It's, uh, I don't know. It's an orange tree. Yeah. Orange, you glad I've been so patient with you? You know, it's like, it's like almost that bad, it feels like to me. But, uh, but God's, God's using this image to, to say to Jeremiah, yes, I am watching I'm to see that my word is fulfilled. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that's boiling, I answered. It's tilting toward us from the north. And the Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord, as we just heard as the, the nation of Babylon. Now, the Assyrians came from the north as well. Babylon's a little to the east, but the route that they would use to attack if they follow the river would, would come to, to Israel from the north. It says, their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against uh, all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. So yeah, it's like a pot of boiling water going to be poured out. This is, it's going to get ugly. So then he says to Jeremiah, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Which that's like, man, he's like, you better get up. Don't be afraid or I'll make you afraid. <laughs> like, oh, okay, all right. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you but will not overcome you for I am with you and will rescue you declares the Lord. Now, if you do read Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah is a little bit unusual in the, among the prophets uh, that we have in our Bibles, because many of them we hear just a little bit, like we heard at the beginning, you know, he's, uh, he's the son of this person, one of the priests, one of whoever, you know, and we get, we usually get like about that much biographical information about many of the other prophets in our Bibles. Jeremiah, as you read it, there are lots of stories about Jeremiah and about how he is opposed by people. He, he spends some time in jail. He spends some time, they, they drop him in a dry well. It's not too dry. It's full of mud. He's sinking into the mud in the bottom, and someone has to come and rescue him. And, and as the video mentioned, he gets kidnapped and carried off to Egypt. Uh, there are moments in Jeremiah's life that you get to see uh, a picture of what it's like to be used by God in this way, and it's not entirely pleasant. You know, this is the guy, remember, who says, you know, that God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. This is the, the prophet through whom God said those words to his people. For him, for himself, in his life, it was not always pleasant. And it makes me think of how that's true for many of us, right? And God is going to work through us, and we know that in all things, God's at work for good, you know, the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. God's, God's going to bring good through each and every one of our lives, but doesn't mean it's going to be an entirely pleasant journey as he does that. And it's certainly not for Jeremiah. In fact, there are some bits that Jeremiah says that could have appeared in the book of Job that we just finished looking at last month. Uh, sometimes where there's one moment where Jeremiah says, you deceived me, God, and I was deceived. You know, like, you tricked me into this. And, and if, I, if I tried to hold back the message you give me, it's like, it's like fire in my bones. I just can't hold it any longer. And finally, I just have to let it out. And he's, he's frustrated sometimes by what this looks like. But, but again, God says, look, I am with you. I don't know what God is 
called each of you to. I know some of you because, you know, you've told me and I get to see it and I get to see as you live it out. I get to see the ways that you're doing the work that God has called you to do. And it's a beautiful thing. And sometimes it's quite challenging. But God is with you. And God helps you and gives you the strength to do whatever it is that he's called you to do. Because God knows you. He's known you from before you were born. He's got a plan for you. And he's going to be with you no matter what. Now, I do look, like I said, I want to look at one little story in Jeremiah chapter 18. So in the middle of that first big section uh, that gets summarized (laughs) in a hurry in that video, there's a story, another kind of image that God's using, but he has him actually go and visit the place. Uh, He says, uh, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. I thought about trying to get a clip from that old movie. Uh, who was in that? Patrick Swayze and the Demi Moore ghost? Yeah, you know, that, where he's like a ghost and he comes in and there's this little romantic scene. They're like doing this pottery at the wheel or something. I don't know. And then Whoopi Goldberg's there for some reason. I don't remember. It's been too long since I watched that. Uh, but he's at a, you know, a pottery place, right, with the spinning wheel and the wet mud. And you have that picture in your, in your mind, right? Have you seen that? Where I, yeah, I wasn't about to try to do that in here. Um, and I've never done it myself, you know, but they, they got the little foot thing that makes the deal spin and they throw the mud on there and then they have to be real careful as they shape it and got to add just the right amount of water and all that kind of stuff. We had a friend uh, that was down in the Brown County area that did this for quite a while. She's still doing that, I wonder. Anyway, what's that? Oh, it was her son? That was, I thought she was doing it. Okay, anyway. And uh, they had a little shop and everything where they'd, they'd make them and fire them and sell them and... and uh, so the image here is like, okay, this is the potter. He's working, and if it doesn't go quite right, you know, it gets a little wobblier. It's like, oh, that's not how I meant. He just kind of has to start over and work it into something different, right? So then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. He's, he's saying again, like, you know, I'm, I'm shaping you. I'm at work in your story. You know, these things that are happening, I'm, I'm behind them. I'm, I'm involved in your story. And then here's the point then that God uses. The, this same image is used in other places in the Bible, in Isaiah, and, and the Apostle Paul picks it up. But, but here's how God uses this image to speak to his people through Jeremiah. He says, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent. And not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. It's like, I can, I can change my plans depending on how you respond. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. So sometimes this pottery image, and with God being the potter and us being the clay, sometimes this image is used in the Bible just to say, like, Almost like at the end of the book of Job, where God kind of puts Job in his place and says, like, who are you to talk back to me, you know? I'm running the universe, and you're just you, you know? Um, Sometimes this image is used in that way, where God's like, look, I'm the potter. You're the clay. Does the clay talk back to the potter? You know, that's how he's using Isaiah and in Romans. Like, does the the clay, does the object being formed say, like, why'd you make me like this, you know? Um, Almost to say, like, that's not our role. God, God does his work. But in Jeremiah, he's using this image to say, look, this is a potter who, like, is actually responsive to what goes on with the clay, you know? And if that clay's got a, like a lumpy spot in it, okay, well, he'll do something different then, you know? 
or he'll keep working with it until it's like it needs to be. And he says, so the way he uses it is to say, God, when he announces like a warning of destruction, if the people respond to that and repent and change their ways, okay, well, then I won't bring the destruction. He's like saying, this is why I'm sending you with warnings, Jeremiah. This is why I send prophets in the first place. This is why we, on the receiving end, need to listen when there are warnings that come our way. Because God gives us the warning to give us a chance to change. Right? God almost never gives the warning and like, you know, it, it's not a warning anymore if it's like too late to do anything about it. Right? God always gives us, speaks to us, gives us a message, speaks through a prophet because there's a chance to do something, for us to, for us to change. And sometimes, like he said, sometimes like I got great plans and I tell you I'm going to do great things in your life, but if then you ignore me or disobey me or whatever, then yeah, I can change those plans too. It kind of goes against the idea that God just decided way far in advance, like scripted it all out, right? To say like your whole story has been written and no, there's nothing you can do to change it. God seems to be saying right here, like, no, no, you have a role to play in your story. In the story of you and God and the world and what God is doing in your life and doing through you in the world, God responds to how you live, how you respond to him. And so he continues, now therefore say to the people of Judah and to those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. He's saying, look, now's your chance. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. And so the destruction comes for Jerusalem and for that southern kingdom. But our response doesn't have to be that way, right? We don't have to be so set in our ways, so stuck that we that we don't listen when God warns us. And that's what I included those words from John's gospel, John chapter 3, that you've heard a million times. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is always God's goal for you. It's for you to be saved, for you to be rescued, for you to for your life to become something beautiful. Because God does have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God does want to do something beautiful in your life and through your life in the world. So we got to listen, right? Because sometimes our life does not look the way that it's supposed to. And we're going we're gonna to spend some time in these next three weeks looking at some of the warnings and looking at some of the hope, all right? So we're going to look at the, the rough stuff and the, and the good stuff, okay? Um, and we need to listen. It, it might be that the warning light's been flashing on your dash for a while in your life, right? For some of you, it's like, oh, yeah, I had that setback. You know, oh, yeah, I've, I've had the warnings. But maybe like me, you've ignored those warnings before. One of the first cars I ever drove, I ignored that warning light on my dash until finally I cracked the engine block because I hadn't changed the oil and it got overheated. And like, that's not good. Right? God gives us those warnings for a reason so that we can change, so that we can turn to Him, so we can repent and say, You're right, God. I've, I've been going down a bad path. I need your help to turn things around. 
God is faithful. God is good. He hears those prayers. He does help us to turn things around. All right? So let's, let's turn to him now before we celebrate communion together. God, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your patience with us. And thank you for saying the things that we need to hear when we need to hear them. Because God, each one of us, we have have had, uh, the way our lives have gone, we have had those moments where we needed your correction. We needed your warning. We needed to be told, look, the path you're on is headed towards some serious consequences that I don't think you or the people around you want. And God, you know sometimes we've ignored those warning signs. Sometimes we've refused to listen. We've just followed the stubbornness of our own hearts. Forgive us, God. Help us. Help us to listen to you, to heed your warnings. Help us to recognize that you have been with us from before we were born. You've you've got good plans for us. You have a life, all uh, a good life laid out for us that that we could we could enjoy, that we could be a part of. We could we could live this good life with you, being a part of your good work in the world. For some of us, God, that's the challenge today: is will we listen to you as you call us? Maybe you've been inviting us into some uh, good work, and we've been seeing the challenges. We know all the excuses. And today, we just need to be reminded that you are with us, that whatever challenges come our way, you are, you are not going to let them overcome us. You're not going to overpower us. You're, you're going to help us through. You're going to give us what we need to do the work you call us to do. Thank you, God. Thank you for your your persistence in our lives. You don't just leave us to wander off uh, in the mess that we've made, but you continue to send prophets, messengers, eventually send your own son. And God, each of us in our own lives, we can think of people you sent our way, messages that we needed to hear so that we could know that we are loved by you, so we could know a better life is possible so that we could know that there is good that we can be a part of here in the world. Thank you, God. Help us to listen. Help us to respond. Help us to obey. We don't want to miss the life you have for us. We are so grateful, God. Thank you again for the love you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity we get to to celebrate this love in the sacrament of Holy Communion as we gather together with Christians around the world and offering to you these gifts of bread and juice. God, we pray that by your Spirit's presence here we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body, in his blood. We remember that Jesus, as you gathered with your disciples, you you were celebrating the Passover, this, this remembrance of God's work in the past and how you had rescued people from slavery and then Jesus you said now there's a new covenant being made a new agreement right here in my life and death and resurrection this is my body broken for you this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins thank you God for loving us enough to come to us in the person of your son Jesus Christ 
holding nothing back, but giving all for us out of love. And by his death and resurrection, you have conquered sin and death and the devil so that today we can, with confidence, offer ourselves to you, confessing our need of your forgiveness, admitting that we have not always loved you with our whole heart, soul, mind, strength. We've not always loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are so grateful that because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, that today we can experience your grace, your forgiveness, freedom, new life. Thank you, God, for forgiving our sins. Thank you for embracing us as your sons and daughters. Thank you for filling us with the spirit of Christ so that we can leave this place as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, The musicians are going to come back and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. I'll be here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. As we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and return to your seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. All of us who are hungry for his grace and grateful for his love. We've got the the regular little pieces of pita bread or the round gluten-free wafers. Or we've got the little cups in the middle if you'd uh, like to take one of those. Or if you can't make your way forward, we've got the little cups on the tables that you can peel back and get to the bread and get to the juice. Um, Let's celebrate. Let's give God thanks for the love he has shown us in his son Jesus Christ. became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness
Thank you again, God, for giving us your son, Jesus. Love so amazing, as we've just been singing. Would you help us today to have a very real sense of your love for us? So that as we go from this place, we won't have uh, fear about what you might be calling us into. So that we can have every confidence in fully entrusting ourselves to you. Because you love us. Because you are with us. Once again, we thank you, God. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Oh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.